Hi, Reese and Josh here from Smart Council. Periodically, Smart Council addresses topics that are complex and even controversial. We do this because we live in a complex world. For the professional counselor, encountering controversial topics and people whose values wildly differ from our own is an every week occurrence. For the religious person in the counseling field, this may happen even more frequently. Smart Council aims to equip all professionals, religious or otherwise, to navigate complex scenarios and controversial topics with competence and compassion. In today's episode, we'll be talking about transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming individuals, both their internal experience of themselves and their external experience of society. We recognize that this topic is highly controversial and often very political, but at the end of the day, also very personal to those involved. With this in mind, we wanted to preface the discussion to better help the listener to enter an appropriate headspace before entering the conversation. We know this topic is controversial and often hotly debated, both casually, professionally, religiously, and politically. Staunch trans advocates may well wonder why their opposition can't just see their way and allow them their experience. Meanwhile, dedicated adherence to a traditional and, oftentimes, a Protestant biblical understanding of sex and gender may well be alarmed at how the categories of men and women appear to be getting altered. The issue is hotly debated, with each side potentially blaming the other for everything that is wrong in society. Meanwhile, in the center of the conflict is a person, actually a whole lot of people, people who, as we'll discover in today's episode, daily overcome a tremendous amount of turmoil. We recognize that counselors and social workers work a complex job serving complex people living in a complex world. In any given session, the client and professional may represent ideologies, values, and behavior patterns that are radically different from and even in direct opposition to each other. We don't believe this needs to be a deal breaker in relationship. We do believe that the professional holds the primary responsibility for bridging the gap by learning how to understand the client's point of view. As listeners, professionals, students, clergy, and casual observers, we need to remember that for the trans person in the middle, this conversation isn't just about a political agenda or a religious agenda or an ideology or theology. Oftentimes, for the trans person, this conversation is a matter of life and death. If any progress is to be made in navigating conflicts around sex and gender, and if lives are to be saved, first we need to slow down and listen and to learn from each other's stories. Every trans person has a story. Every trans ally and advocate has a story. Every conservative, cisgendered, religious person has a story. Our hope is that episodes like this that tackle complex conversations will facilitate learning to listen and gaining more understanding of transgender individuals and their stories. Our hope is that if both sides can learn to listen, then we can turn what has been a conflict into a productive and healing conversation. Thanks for listening. And now for today's episode. Welcome to Smart Council, Introduction to Transition. Uh, Smart Council is a podcast dedicated to providing resources and perspectives to counselors and students on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Reese, and I'm here with Josh. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. Good. And we have a very special guest that I've been very excited to have here, uh, Emma Nichols. Uh, how are you doing, Emma? I am. I am doing fine. I'm interested to see where this goes. It's cool. uh, going to be fun. We used to have some pretty good discussions in the in the group that we did. Indeed, so. uh, I had a lot of fun in those discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of that context, uh, Emma, do do tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, okay, uh, uh, I am. Uh, an addiction, uh, so excuse me, and I'm also, you can hear me correct myself many times because I'm trying, there's a lot of words I don't like to use, but I do them out of habit. I am a counselor around people who have high levels of problematic substance use. And uh, that's been my focus for the last uh, eight years now. And um, also uh, another focus is uh, uh, another specialty that I've been doing for the last eight years is, is uh, trans-identified gender non-conforming individuals and providing support and traveling with them on their journeys. Uh, I'm trans-identified uh, myself, so that's another part of it. And recently, and I'm going to say within the last year, year and a half, I'm really starting to incorporate and appreciate and evaluate and learn about the impacts of trauma, the different types of trauma. And so I'm bringing that in into my approach also. Okay. So 
so so there's just a cornucopia of richness going on <laughs> with you. <laughs> so I'm very excited to have you here. Um, and where, in what context do you uh, apply all this greatness? Um, I'm actually very, in some ways, very flexible within that limited uh, the substance use field. So, but I'm I'm flexible, and I also have a tendency to. Uh, define the scope of substance use treatment very broadly, so perhaps I have some supervisors that would not appreciate that particular interpretation, but right. anyway. You mean like there's more you can be addicted to than drugs and alcohol? No, that there's more uh, drugs and alcohol or just that, that one-tenth of the iceberg that mm -hmm. is sticking above the surface, and right. so it's that stuff below that uh -huh. to me is more important, yes. uh, hence the, the focus on trauma too. Right. Um, but I mean, so I am as, in, as comfortable in a group that is more um, uh, for the general for a general uh, demographic uh, as I am in in people who are trans identified, gender nonconforming, and I'm probably going to shorten that up and just say trans identified, and we'll just assume gender nonconforming. I guess a little cumbersome. Yeah. Uh, and I have done groups, all male groups, and I've had a great time. I've done all women's groups and had a had a great time doing that. I, I just feel comfortable. Uh, for one, I love groups, and then the individual sessions. Um, I, I that is another thing that I just so much enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. Am I getting audience? Tell me if I ramble. I ramble. Hey, well, well, you ramble. I ramble. We ramble here. No, this is true. <laughs> so, this is true. It's very true. Um, but, uh, but you did drop a really great segue in there. Um, so you mentioned how you work with uh, trans-identified, gender mm -hmm. non-conforming, non-binary mm -hmm. individuals, and that you're going to shorten that just to, to trans, mm -hmm. um, which is a great segue into our topic that we came up with for today. Um, so, so trans, transgender. Uh, so when we talk about that, who are we talking about when we, when we use that term? Um. Again, that is such a, it's such, well, it is a new term, and a relatively new term. I mean, trans-identified people have been around for as long as there have been people. Um, and so that term in and of itself is relatively new, around 1995. And it really took a long time to develop into a more specific meaning. So trans... And I've shortened it to trans, as a matter of fact, I'm thinking about it. But trans includes people who, in the old days, and this is now considered offensive term, but it's the one I'm going to use, uh, transsexual, uh, uh, then I'll use the more appropriate term, people who, who, who cross-dress, uh, people who do not identify on the on the binary, the gender binary, as you referred to, um, and also people who uh, who express their uh, who may be uh, use many different gender modalities of expression. If that made any sense, because I just made that one up. Right. So. That makes sense. And I think, and I, I uh, want to frame this a little bit, and I guess back up just mm -hmm. a little bit. For the for the listener who may be very new to this conversation, so that's a little bit why I'm asking some of these questions. Mm -hmm. um, you and I know this lexicon fairly well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know it really well. You oh, have you do. You. Good. <laughs> yes. Hillary you know still knows it better. But um, <laughs> but for 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 the person who doesn't know the, what these terms are, I want to set a little bit mm -hmm. of a basis for that. So um, so you know so we so we talk about the gender binary mm -hmm. which is often in contrast with the gender continuum my gender spectrum mm -hmm. and again the gender binary is a, a model of gender where you know men and women are very discrete mm -hmm. uh, separate completely different boxes that and um, any movement in between or any crossing of the two is generally prohibited mm -hmm. within within the binary model mm -hmm. uh, compared to the gender spectrum, gender continuum, where uh, gender is seen as a much more fluid concept, um, where the the male-female essence mix and match in a lot of different ways, and there's the internal identity level, there's the external 
how you appear, uh, the space you take up in society, the roles you take. Mm. Um, there's that level. And then that also leads into uh, how you relate to other people, orientation, attraction, right. which we might see that for a different conversation. Mm. Just um, to note, that I think you're right, it's good to point out that that is not necessarily uh, coincidental. There's two, se- I mean, that, that is another track and topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. So, so when we talk about um, who is a so who's a who's who's a trans person? So, so we talk about um, like there's the there's the old term transsexual, which mm-hmm. we don't really use anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, in what context? Or like what did it used to mean, and why don't we use it anymore? Well, around female identified at birth, people transitioning in the role of male. But there was a lot of gatekeeping. If a person didn't act like what the stereotypical version of what a female was at that period of time, then, oh, well, they must not be really transsexual, and so we're going to treat them with a lot of other other very, what I again call brutal, you'll hear me use that word a lot, yeah. uh, brutal uh, treatment methodologies. Yeah. Uh, and so it just developed this very unpleasant association and so it finally like I say uh, the term transgender came in to being and around I think it was 1995 and I can't remember who it was that started using it there's it actually can be traced to one person so minimally the term transsexual it's um, it's a very sounds like a very technical Mm -hmm. clinical term but it's a but it's connected to a lot of painful history yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, similar to why um, a, a lot of uh, gay and lesbian people uh, don't like the word homosexual, mm-hmm. where again it's a very technical scientific term, um, but unlike heterosexual, homosexual, the word homosexual has been used as a slur, as mm-hmm. a derogatory term, mm-hmm. uh, and so it just has a different history com- attached to yeah. its usage. As clinical as it may have been at one point, it became right. a it became more of a slur than a useful word to be yeah. using. So you mentioned how it, at one time, in order for a transgender person to embark on any sort of transition, mm-hmm. they had to demonstrate that they were um, sufficiently, and that word's in quotes, uh, meeting a criteria for what it meant to be a woman based on societal standards, mm-hmm. which again goes back to those layers of gender we talked about, where there's the, you know, there's the internal experience you have, and then there's the societal expectation you live into mm-hmm. um, there's this, uh, uh, there's societal expectations for what a man is for what a woman is and those are different in every culture mm-hmm. um, and one of the things I felt like um, is important to note here is is how very multi-layered that the trans experience is yeah um, it's not just a man in a dress right. or a woman with mm-hmm. a butch haircut. Mm-hmm. It's um, oftentimes those are elements there, but there, but there's a whole lot more going on internally mm-hmm. for for the trans person. Yeah, yeah, and I think this is. I, I'm beginning to get the sense that that is because I don't see much reference to it, but I'm beginning to get the sense that that is something that trans people do not even really quite understand and I really I mean I know I didn't uh, is that I can present or a trans person can present in in the gender uh, that they identify with and be apparently uh, not scratch apparently uh, but appear very confidently and convincingly of who they are presenting as, and I'm I'm really thinking carefully of what I uh, what I'm saying here because again this is just something that that occurred to me. That does not mean though that they have necessarily been able to adapt uh, not adapt but come to terms with their own inner identity because it is such a that transition is a much more complex process. Mm, so you're saying that makes that, sense. I think so. So you're saying like the the external presentation can sometimes accelerate much quicker than the internal resolution. Of... Very much so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll give an example using myself, and this is one that I've I've spoken to with a lot of the people 
I, I travel with, and that is uh, when I first transitioned, I apparently, I, I know the term we haven't identified past. Mm. Do you want to identify or you want me mm. to? Well, if, um, if I, if I recall right, so to, to pass as your desired gender means that you can meet a stranger and they will, they will uh, instinctively mm. take you for the gender you want to be taken right. as. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think the counterpart is being misgendered where people... Yeah. Um, where you don't quite pass. <laughs> yeah, so. or, or yeah, yeah, a good summary of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I apparently had passed quite well. I, I, I will give an example because it always amuses me. Uh, at one time, I was on my way somewhere, and this is when I was still drinking, I don't drink anymore, but I stopped in at the liquor store and bought a bottle. And I'm at the counter, and when you pay with the debit card, you have to show your ID. This is before I had a chance to get my ID or even before my name changed and I think about it. And so I put the bottle down, put my debit card down and put my ID down with my old name on it, my dead name. Uh, and it also had my old identify, old marker uh, before transition. Uh, person picks it up, picks up the first card, puts it in the register, uh, the uh, processing little machine uh, and then picks up my ID and looks at it and then looks up at me his eyes get wide looks up <laughs> uh, and uh, said something to the effect that oh it's a nice day to uh, how did he put that something about it, yeah, it's, it's a nice day to do your own thing <laughs> <laughs> and we both had a chuckle and I said yeah I'm certainly enjoying it and uh, went from there so apparently I was passing mm -hmm. that's my point of the story gotcha. But I, I did not feel in any sense confident about my who I was. For one, I was, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and I'm sitting there, and okay, so move forward a couple of years. This is uh, when I was first employed. One of the people uh, who was my mentor, well, no, it was actually, I was an intern. Uh, one of the people who was my mentor, Jim Henry, I believe you know mm -hmm. him. We were sitting there talking after one of the groups we did, and for some reason it came up, and I said, yeah, I just I, I just have no idea how to act or behave. And, and what his response was to that, which helped me immensely, was, you know, I find that surprising because you seem so confident. And for, for some reason that lifted something off of me. Yeah, I am comfortable. I, I, you know, I am confident. I don't have to worry about this as much. Now that was just the beginning of the process of internal transition. Yeah. However, getting that validation was really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm beginning to see that with a lot of the people, uh, a lot of the people that I get to meet with, and is that they've transitioned. They present. You know, let's see. I'm, I'm hung on a word. Uh, on an appropriate word, uh, yeah. they present to all intents and purposes as the gender they identify with, mm -hmm. and that and that becomes a marker of when like that external bit, that that external part of me is validated. Then that does something for the internal part of me. I think that's just the begin. That's okay. Good. Good. You said that. That's the beginning that's of the, the beginning. process of the internal. Mm -hmm of the internal uh, once that is validated enough times mm -hmm. and in the right way and then and then if we're going to just throw the trauma piece in when invalidation has been such a core component of the identity then that becomes much more difficult i'm thinking of one person in, in, in particular and that's mm -hmm. actually it's this one person who actually got me on this mm -hmm. this uh thought or this path or this direction i was able to analyze my own transition and what I went through and that yeah that's definitely going to be the hardest part for many people and I think there's a lot of variables there that, that play into that ability. One of the more well-known trans people is Kristen Beck. She was in originally served in the SEAL Team 6 uh, which was the same, she was out by then, but it was the same uh, unit that went in and uh, uh, killed Osama bin Laden in oh. Pakistan. Right. And so that was the nature of the training and the style of service that she was in. And the book she wrote is Warrior Princess, so hopefully if somebody buys the book and she finds out about it, she can give me some credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, Warrior Princess, and on the cover is a picture of this, uh, two pictures. The one on the left is this really bulked up and lots of body armor and, and weaponry and all this macho stuff and the full beard. That's the other thing I remember from it. A ranger. <laughs> right, well, yeah, yeah, a ranger, right. <laughs> and then on the other side is this uh, rather well-dressed and in, in, in a skirt and blouse and well-made uh, well up woman. And that is Kristen Beck before and after transition. Uh, the dynamic, though, is, it's interested, is another dynamic that has interested me, is that back in about, I think it was 1986, and I can't remember the name of the doctor, it was a military doctor, a psychologist, I believe, or psychiatrist, probably, if it was in the military, uh, was, uh, I don't know exactly the, all the circumstances, but he put out a report on this concept called hypermasculinity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I bet, I'm guessing that's something that's very prevalent in the military. What's that? I'm guessing that's something that's very prevalent in the military. Yes, <laughs> and I, a, a little bit of a caution here. I don't think that applies to everybody who presents as hypermask. It's also very prevalent in, in the prison system, oh, just to throw that yeah, out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's not, I mean, this is not the motivation for everybody, but a lot of people who were going into the military were... Uh, trans-identified uh, people and they were trying, you know, the, the, the belief was, and this is one thing that I, I sort of kind of engaged in, again, not through the military, but is if I try hard enough, if I act like a man hard enough, and if I act like an extreme man, if I do dangerous things, if I really... Like a compensation? Co yeah, or overcompensation. Or a yeah, it's a good way of putting yeah. it, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, then then the, this dysphoria, this feeling, these feelings will go away and I'll finally get to be a real man. Or and I, I don't know if there's a version of it with women. I, I looked for it, but I haven't found anything. I imagine there is. Excuse me, trans men. I should be more specific on that. Mm -hmm. um, and what the psychologist found out, or the psychiatrist found out, was the prevalence was about twice as high in the military as it was uh, in reported in civilian in the civilian population and yeah I'll, I'll just leave it there mm -hmm. so they're, they're, you're speculating at some of the reasons as to why it might be twice the population is that that's basically well um, that was his speculation yeah. and it makes sense yeah. yeah it does make sense and I have not read read uh, Kristen Beck's book, but I, I believe I've seen enough to where I think that that was one of the reasons why she was doing what she was doing. Now that I think, I, I wish I, there, there was a book that was put out in around 80s, late 80s, early 90s, The World According to Garp. Hmm. Actually, no, scratch that, because I just thought of a better example. There is an individual who I have encountered, and of course now we're talking, I have to be really careful what I say. They had lived their life working very, very much to overcome that internal identity of, of, of a female identity. When I first met them, they were naturally a large person, probably at least six feet, six feet plus very male appearing in a lot of ways. And they had described a history, and I'm not gonna say any details of the history, but they had described a history where they were definitely overcompensating. Mm -hmm. And it was during one of the groups I do, and I came out and I said, okay, if you're here for uh, from the group with Emma Nichols, then let's go. Uh, and three people who I knew were in the group got up, and then this other person got up, and I was wondering, should, should I address myself to this person? And I was actually surprised when they stood up and followed me into the room, to, into the room. And then, as I said, they described a history of overcompensation. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. you know, and this is, this is the way a lot of us, that occurs with a lot of us. Um, I mean, I was at this point, and this is when I told you I, I'm really keeping my colorful language 
uh, adding minimum, but this is one of those points where I said, fuck it, I can't do it anymore. This is not working. And I didn't overcompensate. I didn't try to be that extra macho male, but I definitely, I, I tell people the last thing that people would have expected, they may have thought I was strange in a lot of ways, but the last thing they probably would have expected from me is to transition. Mm-hmm. I'm going to divert us a little bit, but okay. like come back to this. So, um, so I'm thinking about, you know, I mean, when you came to that, um, that really strong decision point, and mm-hmm. I know you've told me that story before, mm-hmm. um, but... So, so, so the detour I want to take is um, out of out, out of trans and transgender back into cisgender um, to uh, for for a little perspective. So, jump in a couple more terms. So, so we talk about uh, a transgender, a trans person, as someone for whom their internal sense of self gendered um, is different than what their physical anatomy is, mm. specifically their genitalia. Mm. Um, whereas a cisgender person is a person for whom um, their internal sense of self and gender uh, is congruent, completely congruent yes. with their with their body, particularly with their anatomy, mm-hmm. um, which I would say is may f- may then further extend to also being very comfortable with society's prescribed rules for them. I want to step into the cisgender role mm-hmm. uh, again because um, again, so for for me, I'm I'm cisgender, but and considering the you know the listener who is a cisgender, maybe has never thought of these things, um, and maybe has never really understood what the trans experience is. Um, you know, uh, like, <laughs> like me. Yeah, yeah like me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and further, too, you know, thinking, um, you know, again, you know, this podcast that goes to, to, to a mixed audience, and it's, you know, sponsored by, you know, Christian University. There's, there's some Christian students, Christian mm-hmm. listeners. Um, and you know, there's some very strong opinions, thoughts about mm-hmm. uh, trans folks within the Christian religion also so I think what I'm what I'm imagining is you know someone who is for sure cisgendered possibly cisgender religious also trying to wrap their head around what the trans experience is and um, and what is always striking to me when I am looking at it through through that lens is a story like like what you're you're saying Emma Mm -hmm. is these stories of these really extravagant measures that individuals take to 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 compensate or to 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 cope with it or live according to society's norms and standards yeah. and i think what it what's really striking to me about when you talk about mm. your personal decision point is just how potent that was mm. um, and maybe forgive me for uh spoiling the punchline or maybe, maybe you can say like you, you said you came to a choice um mm. what did you feel like your choice was yeah, that's, yeah, it was when I was doing that presentation that we had done. I mean, for many years, and this is before I go on, two things. Nowadays, with the concept being better understood, this is not true for people, especially especially younger people. People who are able to express themselves at a very early age. So keep in mind, this is not applicable to all trans people. And I would argue if it's done, if the person is doing this early enough, that really, are they trans? But that's a different discussion. The other thing is what I'm going to relate, you, it might be a trigger warning, you might want to be prepared. So, uh, when I, I I mean, I finally had put all the pieces together when I was about 42 years of age. Um, I was a single parent raising my children, and I was living in a very rural town. And I accepted that. And I, but but I won't get into the story of how I finally put it all together, but it was just like a, a, a bolt of lightning, as they say. And so for years, I said, well, when the time is right, when the time is right. And there were some issues, not issues, but there were some things that needed to be addressed before that would ever come to pass. And at one point I felt, well, some of these things are never going to be addressed. And yet I still kept trying to resolve it, but I could not, it it became overwhelming. Uh, It affected my ability to do my work, it affected... Uh, my emotional state and 
One day I found myself sitting on my bed and I'm thinking, just a minute. I'm thinking I can't do this anymore. Um, and I had a nine millimeter pistol sitting by me. I thought I got a choice. And I thought, well, I might as well try try the transition first. And if it doesn't work, I always got the nine millimeter. Best damn decision I ever made. I'm glad you made it. Thank you. Um, so so yeah, uh, that is that was my inflection point, I guess. Mm -hmm. That was that realization. I mean, I had nothing else left to lose. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And things, uh, the the uh, amount of growth, the amount of peace, the internal peace that has come as a, as a result of that decision uh, is incalculable. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, my kids were very accepting. I call my daughter my little bulldog. She definitely will defend me in, in uh, any sense, uh, in any situation. And yeah. So when I put out the question, what's going on for a trans person during transition, like especially internally, mm -hmm. um, it sounds like the stakes are, are really quite high. You know, a lot of the times, like it can come down to a life or death scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's internally. And I know that you know externally, there's you know other life and death scenarios of like I I might be assaulted, I may be killed for mm -hmm. you know breaking the gender binary. Mm -hmm. But it does sound like the the stakes are are quite high for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In a lot. I mean, yeah. And that's for a lot of people. That is the fear. Am I better off killing myself, or am I better off letting somebody else kill me? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just a, 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 a blunt. But mm -hmm. you know, those are that's that's another one of the choices that has to be made. Yeah. Fortunately, in Portland, we live in a very comparative. It's it's not absolutely safe. I don't want to give that impression, but it is probably one of the better cities in this country to transition in mm -hmm. so but and and let's i'll throw this out out there too now we're talking uh, especially trans women of color uh mm -hmm. that's they they have an incredibly high murder rate mm -hmm. so uh yeah it, it definitely is a danger it's not an idle decision mm -hmm. it is not an idle decision by any stretch yeah. of imagination and i think that's the thing that Maybe some some cisgender folks um, maybe don't know mm -hmm. just off the top of their head. Um, mm -hmm. I know I've heard some some cisgender conservative folks uh, talk about uh, the transition process mm -hmm. almost as if it's this flippant thing of like, oh, well, this person like decided they wanted to be a woman or whatever, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and a, as a very like casual, sure, why don't I? Uh, one day I'm not, one day I am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, whereas it you know, sounds like much more like the reality is it's. Uh, it's this internal like angst struggle that's mm -hmm. been going on from you know for this, as young well, as well. It's like, probably some of my earliest memories are around it, and I'm not unique there. I've yeah. I've heard too many other people say the same thing. Yeah, stepping back into the you know into the counselor role. So mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm a counselor, or I'm a social worker. Well, if a trans person finds their way into our office, what is what is helpful? Wow. Okay. Let me let me think a bit about about that um, first off admitting that there is a lot that you that, that not you personally the the royal you uh -huh. uh, the you first off admitting what the counselor does the counselor admitting to themselves what they do not know about it despite what they may think they know mm -hmm. it's one of the big problems is the overmediaization uh, of the of the theoretical trans experience is not is only just it's just it's just the veneer it is a surfacey thing. Um, I'm going to say what most often occurs on the media. There's a concept out there called uh, racial capitalism, and that is using the aspects or qualities. Of, of a racial component, of a race component, of a certain specific race in order to make a profit or benefit otherwise. Uh, does that make sense, first of all, before I go on? Yes. Yes. Okay. 
Well, I think the same thing can be applied uh, to trans people. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of TV shows, of course, I don't watch TV that much anymore, so I don't know what's out there. Mm -hmm. A lot of the TV shows, back when I was, was watching TV, it was even worse. It was just outright humiliating what they were doing with trans people. Mm -hmm. A few good shows, though, I will say that. Anyway, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, keep focused. Don't go down a rabbit hole. Um, but but it is it is I won't say artificial, but it just it does not even begin to show what's going on. Even some really well-made movies or some really sympathetic movies still does not show the experience. the The whole experience it just shows a little bit. So anyway, so admit what you uh, admit that the counselor should realize that there's an acceptance you know if, if if the person's really got a lot of experience mm -hmm. uh there's a lot they don't know as i just indicated about coming to realize the difference between internal and external transition even trans people don't know a lot about it mm -hmm. you know what we have fed what's out what we have been fed what, we, what is out there our own preconceptions are bringing in that so that that applies validate well, and this is something that goes in just about any area, I guess. Let me put it this way, mm -hmm. you know, validate, that's very yeah, important. we should always validate. Well, it yeah. should always be like a supportive, welcoming presence. We anyway. would hope that this would be known. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we would hope. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing is that, that you know, we, are, we are experts on our situation. Mm -hmm. I would say we are actually more experts than many, many people uh, who are theoretical experts. Uh, I just my mind so, just went to some. Go ahead. Oh, would you say that uh, though the therapist or the the trans person might not know a lot about brings being transgender, but they know a lot about themselves and they know a lot about their experiences. Yeah. So they're yeah. The professional on themselves. Yes. Yes. That's a, that's a really good that's, way of putting. That's what I took away from you. <laughs> What's that? That's what I took away from you. Yes. Um, and, and actually, that brings up a very good point. Um, I know a lot of, I, not a lot, but I know several uh, trans people who are trying to live up to to a stereotype, who appear to me as if they are trying to live up to a stereotype of what it means to be trans. Mm -hmm. Again, it's a lot more complicated than just that. I mean, from what I just said, but but that is a component. Well, and related to that, like recognizing that there's there's kind of a trans stereotype, and that some 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 individuals, some clients will be trying to live into that. Um, I feel like it's also worth noting too that again, there's there's multiple levels of the the gender experience to be to begin with, and so like not every person who would identify as trans is specifically wanting gender confirmation surgery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, not every not everybody is going to want hormone replacement therapy. Right. There's there's some folks who they they, they do want to experiment with different types of dress or different yeah. hairstyles or something. Mm -hmm. But I, but I think maybe I mean there, there might be some some session of folks who would say oh a trans person and they want to like remove their anatomy and and you know do all that which, mm -hmm. which that happens but but it's not everyone's story and there's there's some. Again, there's, there's different variations of it, and... That is the role and the function, is to help the individual explore those details. And they can be very helpful. And that is, that requires a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. knowing, how, knowing what the terms are out there, and knowing some things is not, is not the full piece of it. Mm -hmm. Some people don't, yeah, some people do not want to start hormones. Some people don't want to uh, do surgery. Some people can't do it for uh, very valid reasons. I mean, let's, let's compare people who identify as, as, as cross-dressers, which is in the old days another term that has become derogatory, transvestites. Now they, the more accepted term is is, uh, oh, I know what I was going to say, but the more accepted term, uh, more appropriate term is people who, who, uh, who are cross, who identify as cross-dressers, and that's dressing, usually, again, it's, it's male, uh, women have a lot more uh, flexibility in their uh, presentation, but they, they will 
they, they dress in the clothes of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that they are gay, it's not necessarily that they're trans, it's just that is one way that they uh, are able to express themselves. And it can be very therapeutic and healing. I know one person, they have a business, that's what their business is, mm-hmm. is helping people to be able to do so, do so in a safe environment and do so with some compassion and a little bit of professionalism. Well, this is what you do, this is, you know, makeup techniques, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I guess what we're what, almost losing it again, but I think part of this is what is the spectrum, what is the purpose, what is the, temp, what is the goal, what's the end result. And, and so it's varied. Uh, another example, uh, uh, drag performers. Mm-hmm. That that is its own little unique culture and sphere, and there's a lot of different things, and I'm not even gonna try and identify everything that's going on. But that that uh, am I being? I guess I, no, there's a lot going on, and there's yeah. a lot of nuance. Yeah, a lot of nuances there that I'm just not familiar with enough to really want to talk about it. Uh, but there's. Some are trans-identified. Some may. Some. Some are just. Uh, they're. They're really good at doing it. They're adept at doing it. Doesn't mean they're necessarily gay or straight. And again, as we said, let's separate out sexual expression with gender expression because that's another component. There's a, a specific scenario I'm thinking of too, where so this happened a couple of times. It was with a couple of the trans clients that I had when I was at Cascadia, where. Mm. You know, they'd come in, they'd, you know, have gender dysphoria, some kind mm. of presenting problem, mm. the assessment, getting to know them. And as I'm hearing their story, as they're talking about what their, um, what their gender dysphoria experience is, mm. it sounded to me as if it was more, it was less, I am uncomfortable in my own body with, I am uncomfortable with society's expectations of me. And these were all uh, male identified at birth, mm-hmm. or male assigned at birth. Um, who had a very, a very strong aversion to, uh, again, this concept of hypermasculinity, toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. like the way, you know, like the stereotype, you know, macho, violent, aggressive, you know, kind of yeah. dumb man, and, you know, very having very a very strong aversion to that, mm-hmm. and reacting against that, and mm-hmm. and and the the option that they they opt chose was well I'm gonna not identify as a man anymore mm-hmm. um, and on one level like you know I, I think of what hypermasculinity is toxic masculinity and like I don't want to be that either goodness yeah, it's yeah. awful well and, and I, I, I just want to interject there that, that a person who's, who masculinity in and of itself and the presentation of masculinity is not necessarily toxic let's, mm-hmm. let's keep that I mean it's, it's true yeah, so anyway go ahead it's true yeah there, and there's a I, I do know the distinction between like the toxic masculinity mm. and just what is hypermasculinity, and so and but anyway, for some people that that fits really well. Um, but I'm thinking of you know my own experience, you know my cisgendered experience. Mm. But I'm very not hypermasculine. I'm you know kind of slight. I have long mm. hair. I do art. I like boy bands in high school, and <laughs> you know all, you know I don't play football. So uh, I did on a track. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did for a while. It was lovely. Um, <laughs> was that a compensation of something? Yeah, it Actually, it was what I got from my grandmother, and it was great. <laughs> um, compensation but, for not having enough money to buy your own. Right. <laughs> so um, there's the, there's this society there's this sort of stigmatized, stereotypical expectation of what men must be in mm-hmm. society, and there's a corresponding expectation of what women must be, mm-hmm. and those types in their extreme form are restrictive, damaging, kind of narrow, and, and ultimately I don't think very healthy mm-hmm. for most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people fit into those just fine and it's perfect for them. Um, what what it seemed like what was happening though with a couple of these trans clients was maybe for whatever reason they didn't um, they didn't have a, a box for like in still be a man but I can be a different kind of man or I, yeah. can, I can be yeah. a man that I agree. is yeah. comfortable with all emotions comfortable with all character traits and you know comfortable like kind of picking whatever activities you know suited them um, sometimes it would seem like um, sometimes it seemed like individuals would jump to the trans label maybe prematurely because they they, they did not fit fully into that the, that the uh, social category stereotype that's not yeah. what I'm looking for yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I mean, you could could go with like the the trans the trans mm-hmm. label uh, and, and that journey, but you might not need to. You might just need to like carve out a new niche for yourself in society. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I note that, and I, and I think I know that is potentially different. And tell me from off my rocker, you know, as I know that experience is different than the I actually have a, a dysphoria with my my physical body. Mm-hmm. I yeah, well, I mean, and, and that's something. No, thank you for relating that because that is something that I guess I was uh, below the level of conscious awareness. Yes, that's true. I mean, we're talking about spectrum uh, and it's more than just one axis. There's at least two axes, if not more, axes, if not more. Uh, but what by you relating that, that, that is a really important concept to keep in mind is that, yeah, maybe we just, all too often we feel we have to be, if I don't identify fully on one end of the spectrum, then I must be all aware on the other. And yes, there is certainly a whole lot of different, oh, I mean, there's an infinite number, I mean, if we're talking spectrum, there's an infinite number of ways we can present ourselves, and it's just being comfortable with doing that and learning that we I'm going to say this in a sense, it's being given permission to do that, even though we don't need it, but it's nice when somebody's in the back of the validation, it's nice when somebody says, you know, how about this? It's okay to do this too. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other point that you bring up that I think is even more important, and this is why being that, that awareness, that consciousness of it is, that was the part that you as the counselor played in that process mm-hmm. and somebody who does not understand that those subtleties would probably there's no, I won't say probably but there there's a good chance they would have missed it oh well you're coming to me and you're saying you're trans well then you must need surgery you <laughs> must need surgery yeah. I mean and of course now there's a balance when is that gatekeeping and when is that a valid observation or support quickly uh, touch on again for the for the clinician who's in mm. the room with, with the trans person. Uh, what are the helpful things? Okay, well that that is it. It is. I wish I could remember all this. Here here's a here's a model that I'm really using more and more. The hero's journey. Are you familiar with the hero's journey? Should I explain it for? Uh, yeah, we're good. Okay, hero's yeah. journey uh, was based on the yeah, teaching and education yeah. of Joseph Campbell, who was. Uh, who had studied mythology and stories and and folklore and legends of many, many people. And he noticed that there was a certain uh, pattern in almost all the stories, very nearly, uh, I'll say virtually, all the stories that were told. And it is the story of the hero and the process process that they go through on this journey and coming around to the uh, returning back home, leave home, uh, for uh, and, and I'm, I don't know all the steps all. I just started incorporating this, so please bear with me. But basically, there is a call to go on the journey. The journey, the next step is the journey is often refused or declined by that person. Uh, the next step after that is a mentor comes along and helps to guide them and 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 motivate them on the journey. And finally, there is an acceptance of the call. And then there's there's several stages around, but I would say that that is the the mentor or the 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 mentor is what the clinician does. They mm-hmm. help that person realize that the journey is inevitable. You need to go on it, mm-hmm. and also helps them to understand the nature of that journey. Mm-hmm. Now, was that helpful? Or is that clarified? I think so. So, like conceptual, like broad arc. Um, what the counselor could do that's helpful is to play the role of a mentor, play yeah. the role of someone to uh, walk with them through the journey, just mm. be able to like talk through things, mm. notice the nuances, mm. uh, reflect back, here's what I'm seeing, and, mm. you know, and challenging when appropriate. Uh, and some of the mechanics in that sounds like are to be a, a validating presence, which mm. again may not necessarily be I agree with everything you're doing or all mm. the decisions you're making, but mm. I value you as a person, I, mm. val- I value your journey. Mm. Um, you know, I, I value your well-being. Mm. Um, you know that that sort of validation is is an essential mechanic. Mm. Uh, being up on your terms, using right terms, mm. which again, it's a tricky, slippery process because there's so many terms and they're changing all the time. But 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 trying, 
mm. or at least you know you know trying to use the right terms owning when you don't know the right term mm. um and you know trying to know some of these things ahead mm. of time uh so you're not having to like learn everything on the spot um it's not like those are some of the helpful mechanics that would support this broader arc and i guess the one thing i would add to that is also challenging the person when necessary and i don't mean in a confrontational way mm-hmm. um, but i mean in a way pointing out inconsistencies and incongruities in their thoughts or, uh, or behaviors or statements and behaviors mm-hmm. and making sure helping them to make sure that what what they are some of the things that they are doing or saying is really what they meant to say or do but again and i know you said this is a topic for a different time that's a real challenge is the gatekeeping component so right. so yeah and and that takes i i've done that with people myself mm-hmm. and and looked at them and said you know this isn't really matching up or this doesn't fit other facts do we have time for me to give a little bit of an example? Mm, I think we, I think we might have to save it. Um, okay. Which I'm really sad about. But, but I could give an example if I want. I bet that. you could. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you so much mm-hmm. for sharing your wisdom and your insight and your story, and um, for sharing just some life and career with me. I really appreciated that a lot over the years, and thank you for being on our show okay i think and pl- i really thank you for allowing me to to spout my story i enjoy <laughs> doing that and i thank you for a lot of the support and help that you've given me through the years too i really value that so. absolutely all right well thank you listener for following us through this journey and we will be back next time with more smart counsel Please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love your feedback, and let's keep the conversation going. Follow Smart Council on Facebook at Smart Council Podcast, on Twitter at Smart Council 601, and you can email us your questions and comments and feedback at smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. Joshua Moore can be found on the web at neurofeedbackcare.com. And Reese Pesimio can be found on the web at newpatterncounseling.com. Our theme music is by Nate Botsford. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. This episode was mastered by Julie Patterson. Smart Council has been produced by Reese Basimio and Joshua Moore.